Welcome to the Synapse Nips podcast, where we explore the power of health and healing. On this podcast, we will be talking with health experts, professionals, and leaders about hot topics in the world of health. Whether it's tools to help you flourish, successful stories to inspire, or tips to optimize your health, Synapse Nips is here to help you take the first steps towards living your best life. about low back pain right or just all back pain uh all back pain like your entire spine i guess and just some of the differences we start with low back pain yeah um and we see it a lot we're chiropractors yes so a lot of people come in for that um but not all low back pain is created equal so what we want to talk about is what are some of the causes of low back pain or back pain in general but starting with low back pain because everybody assumes it's a physical problem I think one of the best ways that I've seen this described is that, you know, in, in school we go through radiology stuff yep. and we talk about MRIs and I remember, I don't remember the professor's name, but we talked about, you can see people with terrible low back pain show up for an MRI and no problem in the MRI. Yes. And you can have somebody with no low back pain, nothing, and you look at their MRI and it's terrible. It looks like it's a train wreck. Just degenerated. Yeah. Yeah. It just looks like they should be in chronic pain and they're not. So obviously there's more than just structural stuff. Yes. So what are some of the other causes that you've seen? For well, especially yeah, that, that kind of shocked me too when I would uh, get x-rays and people would show me their x-rays and you couldn't even tell it was a cervical spine or a lumbar spine or what, what part of the back it was because it was all like broken down, degenerated, and they had no pain. And then other people would just have this intense amount of pain. And so really that's why one of the reasons why I focused on muscles and testing muscles was because the majority of people with back pain, it comes from their muscles. Mm -hmm. Now, if there's a bulging disc or a herniated disc, that's a different story, but uh, it still affects your muscles many times. So that was the, that was the first aha I had very early on that we have to understand the muscles because mm -hmm. I've had probably the worst acute back pain that's not a disc is all muscle related. Yeah. And so understanding how to check the muscles and test the muscles around the spine and the back and then what is affecting those muscles that's the real uh important part when it comes to chronic back pain yeah or just acute back pain all back pain yeah i think the big thing that i see is that it's the pain level is dictated often by the level of inflammation in that person's body yeah and that inflammation can come locally from an injury a damage or the muscle stuff but very often we see it from you know dietary stuff um, stress even ca causing inflammation. And that's what I tell people. People say, well, how can I get rid of the low back pain? It's like, we can stabilize these muscles. Yeah. But if you've got this inflammation going on from a bad gut, bad diet, something else, it's going to keep coming back. You're going to be prone to this problem. So do you see that a lot uh, as far as the digestion and bad gut causing back issues? Yeah. No, and we, yeah. And we even test for that specifically. We have certain core muscle tests that if they're weak, We've seen high correlation with intestinal distress or inflammation. And it's those core muscles that become weak that really sets you up for the low back pain because it's all about core stability. And if those muscles shut down because of digestive tract issues, constipation, I see that all the time too, um, then again, you're going to be you're going to be prone to that. Um, I've seen people then, if they're constipated or have that problem chronically, getting rid of the constipation is what fix their back pain. We don't mm -hmm. have to touch them even. I mean, I've yeah, got a patient yeah. right now that I'm seeing 
remotely. <laughs> I've only seen her in person once. She's from, you know, East Coast. And the back pain is getting better without us being hands-on because it's all yep. stress, anxiety, digestion. Yeah, I find it, it takes a little longer. If you get to the root cause, like mm-hmm. a digestive problem, it can take a little longer. But when you correct the digestive problem and then you add both, in things yeah. like chiropractic mm-hmm. or exercise, rehab, that type of thing, uh, neuromuscular retraining, then it just speeds up the process. But uh, just getting to the root cause and correcting it may take a little longer, but it can be done. Yeah, it can be. Yeah. yeah. So what other causes have you seen other than digestive inflammation? Um, one of the things that we're taught a lot in chiropractic school is to look at the, the pelvis and, and if the pelvis is kind of torqued or uh, leg length discrepancies. I've had that recently where um, someone had broken their ankle and uh, years later developed back pain. Mm-hmm. Well, it turns out that the leg was quite a bit shorter than the other side after the broken ankle just because of how things healed and such. And so they needed a heel lift or uh, uh, needed to balance out the the two legs to stop that chain reaction of the knee to the hip to the the back. Mm -hmm. There's a song about that, but I'm not going (laughs) to sing it. I want people to keep listening. (laughs) My kids sing that song. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Your kids and me, that's good. (laughs) Yeah, kind of an equal playing field. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think one thing I wanted to say too, cause that we get people coming in that quote unquote, throw their back out yeah, a lot. Mm-hmm. And that is a very common thing that has a very common pattern and it can be set up through these different types of inflammation, but it's very much so, um, it can be weak hip flexors or weak glutes. You know, I see both of those being triggers, but then that's going to cause an instability in the low back. Other muscles have to take over to stabilize. And then those muscles get tweaked essentially causing the, the thrown out back. In a situation like that, because you know, we've seen this a hundred times, you know, physically even, what do we do? I'll have you answer this. And then how often do you think it, does it typically take to unwind something like that? Uh, generally speaking, if someone comes in and they're acute and we find some of the weaknesses, uh, it can take anywhere from one week to six weeks just to reestablish that. Uh, it always gets sped up when they follow a an appropriate diet. Sometimes that's inflammatory. To your point, we actually find intestinal inflammation tends to weaken the hip flexors mm-hmm. more than anything. We find in particular rectus femoris and the quads are intestinal uh, weaknesses, iliacus. Uh, sometimes people with some kidney problems, their psoas muscle, which is the number one muscle I see get uh, reactive and cause mm-hmm. problems, but that can also be reactive from just sitting too much at a desk all day, not mm-hmm. moving. Yeah, posture. Posture yeah. plays a big role. But generally speaking, um, Six weeks for most conditions is what you need to to uh, treat it. Now, if it's if there's a disc injury or something that's more long standing, uh, or, or other things interfering, it can really that can get in the way. Uh, I do see people with glute abnormalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of the crazier things are, are things like uh, with the women, uh, female issues can actually cause. Uh, challenges with uh, the glutes firing. Like if you have a tipped uterus, that's one of the strange little things where it can sneak in there and continue to shut down your glute. And also we're pretty balanced. If it's, if our brain is, is basically supporting the left and right side of the body equally, then there's no big issues. But sometimes I just had this, I had a person that came in two weeks ago and was, she was traveling down uh, for vacation, couldn't move. Her back was just seized up Mm -hmm. I assessed everything, and all I found was a glute max weakness with a an opposite side 
occiput yeah. problem. And so this was a torqued scenario where we actually had to fix the head and upper neck to get the glute to fire properly. So that was a top-down type scenario where the, the nerves weren't quite supporting the muscles. And just to keep it simple, we need the muscles on the left pulling on the bones equally as the muscles on the right and the muscles on the front pulling equally as the muscles on the back. If there's any imbalance, you can get a torquing mechanism uh, occurring and then pain can develop from that. Yeah. One thing I, I always check with my, with my patient's initial exam is not only the physical indicators, but the brain functional indicators too, because the muscle tone yeah. is ultimately set by the brain. We talked about something called resetting the gain, yes. which is making sure that the feedback from the muscle and then to the brain and then back again is appropriate. And we see all the time where that that cycle or that circuit from the muscle to the brain and then the con the brain control of the of the postural muscles is disrupted, and one muscle or one issue in one spot, like you said, even an occiput, can cause changes in the brain that will basically cause your uh, brain to not control muscle tone, and so you get bad muscle tone not necessarily just because you're sitting around all day, although that, that can contribute, Yeah. but because your brain needs exercise. Mm -hmm. Like your brain needs it, and your it muscles needs, do too, but your stimulus. brain needs activation. Yeah. It yeah. needs constant communication. I'm going to say this differently. I'm going to have Marquis answer this question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it, it's all about good, proper communication from brain to body, body to brain. Mm -hmm. And so let me ask you this. Marquis, if there's a breakdown in communication between you and your wife, will there be consequences? Yes. Okay. Sure. So saying it a different way, if there's a breakdown in communication yeah. between the body and the brain, there will be consequences. Right. It's a different relationship. So same, if you're married and you have a spouse, male or female, if there's a breakdown in communication, there's going to be some level of dysfunction that occurs and then eventually disease, a diseased sure. relationship. Mm -hmm. Same thing in the body. When there's dysfunction between proper communication there's going to be a measurable form of, of disruption that we can then do something about, and that's helping to prevent disease. Not that low back pain itself causes disease, but the things that set up the low back pain mm -hmm. can eventually lead to disease. So by being proactive and restoring proper communication between the brain and the body helps prevent a lot of complications down the road. Yeah. And that's why when we talk about prevention of back pain, we don't just look at physical issues. People come in, sometimes they say, well, I've only got a physical problem. There's Why do I have to look at all these other things? But in order to prevent that stuff long term, we have to assess all these different pieces. And from a prevention perspective, other than the things we talked about, is there anything else key from a preventative standpoint for back pain? I think Marquis nailed it. To prevent head and back pain, speak with your wife more. <laughs> Good communication. That's, that's obvious. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's generally... A real general statement is we have to look at the mental, chemical, and physical components. Because mm -hmm. if you look at what can cause the occiput to go off, that might lead to a, uh, a glute weakness. Mental stress can can kind of trigger that. Your muscles get tighter, sleep position, a poor mattress in the, in the bed. All these things add up. So that's why when we're talking with someone and trying to navigate it, yes, we'll work on the back. But we also want to look at what set this up. And the more we can get you in a, a good sleep hygiene environment, the more we can get you in a balanced mental, chemical, and physical state, the better. We've had anything from um, the stress of, of life to um, things like uh, I've had yeast and candida infections 
tr- be the culprit for the, the back pain or excessive caffeine causing an ileocecal valve spasm in the intestines that causes hip dysfunction that causes back pain. Yeah. Uh, working over a desk and t- 24 hours, well, not 24 hours. If you work in 24 hours, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, a little problem. Yeah. But working long hours at a desk, not getting up and moving, uh, really is not good for your core, not good for the back. And I will say this, one of the things that actually is a very quick fix when it comes to back pain is we get calls all the time where people just seize up. And uh, uh, whether it's been they're, they're sitting in the bathroom and just going to the bathroom and then couldn't get back up, uh-huh. uh, or they leaned over to brush their teeth, look in the mirror, and their back just seized up. A lot of times uh, that is from a functional spondyl is what we call it. Uh, or an anterior L5, L4, or L3, where the it, the bone just shifts forward a little bit. It still comes from weakness, but that subtle shifting causes your muscles to go into spasm. And people think the, the world's ending because of how serious it feels. But as mm-hmm. soon as we get that back in place, we can go from back from 100 to zero real quickly. Yeah. We can get yeah. them back very, very quickly. So, and, and, and I find that it gets missed a lot. It gets missed in the traditional uh, orthopedic world, and it gets missed in the chiropractic world a lot. Yeah, we're very unique that way. I think between that and the occiput adjustment that we do, we have people coming in saying, we've never had this before. These are the keys to to success. Uh, You mentioned a couple of strange things (laughs) that are causing this. What's the craziest thing you've seen cause pain like this? Well, there's one story of a gentleman and uh, we were working on things and I was convinced his diet was not uh, very good and was contributing to it. And and, uh, he had just a awful uh, reaction to dairy mm-hmm. and so uh, and I w- something just came to mind too do you know Abraham Lincoln this is a fun fact <laughs> <laughs> I know it's like ADD sometimes trying to interview, <laughs> interview each other but uh, Abraham Lincoln when ice cream first was coming out said uh, be careful of ice cream it weakens the legs <laughs> and wow. so that's an actual quote from uh, <laughs> I Abraham Lincoln that. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know you were around back then I wasn't in the audience. <laughs> uh, I am old, though. I would say <laughs> that uh, for this guy, I, 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 and dairy was contributing to it, but it still didn't improve all the way. It kept coming back. And uh, eventually he came in, and it was really good. And it was stable. And all of a sudden, uh, it lasted how we, I expected it to last before, once we cleaned up the, the digestive stuff. And it ended up being his stress levels reduced drastically after he got out of debt and got his bills paid off. And so his low back pain went away completely at that point. And so for me, that was also a very uh, important uh, observation to show how emotions can actually uh, impact our our, our muscles. And I mean, my favorite area of the brain is the basal ganglia. It sets the tone for muscles and emotions. So I know that, but when you read it in a book or on paper, it doesn't translate the same as talking to someone and seeing them face to face and seeing them improve mm-hmm. with that as well. It, it would it had a tremendous impact on them. And that is just, I think that's such a, a big component. Um, uh, people will talk about stress and life stress and stuff and we we are actually we're almost in bondage to some of these these stressors in our life and Mm. and they impact us greatly so when people work on their life work on their lifestyle and remove some of those things it actually makes our job easier it's not that we're lazy (laughs) but people will heal 
when they're in a different mind space as well. So the emotional part of it can be very, very huge for for the back pain, especially for mid-back pain when it comes to the emotions, just because, you know, stress, everyone knows that when they have stress, acute stress, when it's really high, they can develop ulcers. Well, dysfunction with the stomach and pancreas and gallbladder can cause mid to upper back problems and then head problems. So uh, it's very head and neck. So it, it's a big deal when it comes to just managing the stress part of it. And, it, and because it's such a physical condition, people oftentimes forget about that. Yeah, mm-hmm. stress really can be a killer. I mean, yeah. it's so prevalent in our society that people assume it's normal. But getting people to understand that stress control is important, that can be the main thing, getting somebody to feel better, right. even if it's not back pain, anything. Absolutely. So we haven't touched much on, you just said something about mid-back, kind of upper back stuff. Is there anything different that we look for? I know we look at similar postural things, digestive things, even issues all the way up from the foot up to the head can cause yeah, not absolutely. only low back pain, but upper back pain. Is there anything unique about higher in the back that, that you assess and look for? Well, we, we really make sure the low back is good and the pelvis yeah. is good because that's the foundation. So uh, when we start assessing mid-back pain, we're also looking at the same things for low back pain, making sure they're addressed, there isn't a torquing going on. Because a lot of times when you torque your pelvis one way, if it's back and to the right, the upper back will counter-rotate to offset mm-hmm. that because your eyes are signaling to the brain that you need to be looking straight, going straight ahead. So the brain starts to fire at different rates between the left side and the right side, and you get this counter-torquing mechanism, which equals a buckling point in the Mm mid-back. And so people will come in a lot of times with mid-back pain, and it's still the same stuff that can cause the low back pain, but the worst spot in them is right in the mid-back. So we see that counter-rotation quite frequently. The body adapts, which is cool, but at the same time, there's going to be some level of dysfunction because once you... Once you have back pain or the muscles are locked up, it will influence the output of the nerves at that level of the spinal cord. Mm -hmm. And those nerves, some of them go out to your organs. So they support the digestive system. They support the stomach, the liver, uh, the pancreas. And so by resetting the gain of those muscles in those areas, it actually helps improve a lot of the internal function as well. That's why I like adjusting kids. Yeah. Because kids don't have as much baggage as adults <laughs> exactly do. Exactly right. <laughs> and we get kids coming in. I just had two patients like this recently, both similar age, uh, I think eight or nine-year-old boys, digestive issues. And for both of them, I they'd never been adjusted before. And this doesn't always happen. It's not like chiropractic cures everything. Yeah. But simply an adjustment and doing a couple of little things where I'm pulling on spots in the stomach, the ileocecal valve, pulling on the stomach, resetting the diaphragm. All of a sudden, I didn't hear from these people for over a month, and I thought, oh, what happened? Yeah. I said, oh, well, he, you know, he didn't have any more problems after that. <laughs> <laughs> and if every, if the adults that we saw were less stressed, they, yeah. you know, they'd respond in that way, too. <laughs> yeah, I think that would be awesome if we could actually live life as adults like we did as children. Yeah, have to take care either. for it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. That would be, yeah. yeah, we could, but we all live in our parents' basements. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's frowned upon. (laughs) Yeah, my wife wouldn't like that. No. (laughs) What what what's the most common pattern you tend to see when it comes to just back pain in general? Yeah, I think it's often postural. Whether it's upper back pain, kind of between the shoulder blades. I always ask, "What do you do for work?" I sit at a desk all day, or I drive in the car all day. That's going to set up a problem, and. Whether it's involving some of that imbalance in the pelvis or not, 
I see a lot of times where there's a, there's a muscle that attaches your shoulder blade to your ribs. And that thing can get locked down if you're in a posture of kind of forward, forward arms. If you're typing on a computer, using your phone, driving all the time, that muscle doesn't relax very well. And then you get rib dysfunction. You can get headaches from that. Your shoulder blade doesn't move as much as it should. And I always say then you get in a tug of war between that muscle in your shoulder and the muscles up into your neck. And you feel the muscles up into your neck as pain, as headache. And very frequently then working on the shoulder is the key to getting rid of some of that upper back and neck pain. I see that a lot. And that's one of the more common things that I work on. Yeah, what's crazy is that wasn't as much of a deal when I first started. <laughs> and that has really gotten worse. Same with, have you guys ever heard of text neck? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. yeah we're, we're getting this anterior head carriage of all of our kids and adults because they're on their phone so much. Yeah. There's actually a, a term for that now with, with text neck where their neck is going forward. But the problem is that can set up sleep disorders yeah. and all kinds of other problems. So <laughs> what, what have you, what, Josh, you're not, I'm older than you, but not, uh, not a ton, but old enough to where you're seeing things because of our, our culture. Like the, the difference is, and I don't want to say this too much. When I was in high school, we didn't have a computer. <laughs> there was no computers in our high school. We definitely had, didn't have phones yeah. that didn't have cords attached to them. That's, that's all we had was the phones with cords attached. It, it is funny now because I read books to my kids. I have two young kids. And they'll have pictures of old telephones. They have no idea what that is. Yes. What is this? Thing? It's, all, it's a phone. It's like, no, it's not. It's like, that's, that's an old-fashioned phone. You know, that's uh, that back, uh, back before I was born, that's what they used to use. Yeah, if you're, if you're older like myself, go and look up videos on young people trying to do the dial, t- dial phones. Yeah. They can't figure it out because yeah. they, they keep trying and everything. But back in my day, we would have the cords on the dial phone. We would still get problems from talking too long on the phone by you putting the phone in between yeah. Yeah, put the neck off to the side, raise the shoulder, mm-hmm. hold the phone there while you're trying to do stuff. My mom would be cooking in the kitchen with a long extension cord on the phone. And, and yeah. that was like the best to be able to have a, a, a phone that actually went from one side of the kitchen to the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so times have changed quite a bit. And with that comes different challenges yeah. uh, posturally. I think you should touch on, you mentioned the sleep stuff yeah. and we don't have to go too deep into sleep. That's another topic for another podcast. But I think since we're talking about imbalances in the neck now in particular, that's such a huge thing for sleep. Do you want to touch on that a little bit? Yeah, it is. For one of our core pillars to get people better is uh, is improving their sleep. And a lot of people think they sleep well. And we'll do a, a podcast on this, just go mm-hmm. a little deeper dive. But there are multiple levels of sleep. There's light sleep, deep sleep, REM sleep. And within that, we need to be able to stay in, in deep sleep and REM sleep enough to restore each and every night. The problem is if our neck gets too far forward or if we get too much uh, weight or fat pads behind in different areas of the neck, if the airway itself becomes compromised, then you can start to develop uh, a sleep disorder. Now, when I go out and talk and do lectures on sleep, I ask the audience always the same question. How many sleep disorders can you guys name? Just throw them out. The most I ever got was eight, which is actually quite impressive. That's very impressive. Usually it's three. They go sleep apnea, and then someone will say insomnia, and then uh, narcolepsy. And, and it's usually because they know someone. 
But the, the actual truth of the matter is Stanford University has diagnosed and identified 102 different sleep disorders. So there's a lot of them out there. And one of the things that we identified here at Synapse a couple of years ago with the help of, uh, of uh, Dr. Ray Strand, medical doctor and good friend in South Dakota, was that a lot of the, our fibromyalgia patients had their airways collapsing. We even got uh, cameras put into the throat and saw these people who had fibromyalgia, their airways would literally collapse at nighttime. But we also had a camera on the room showing their sleep position. And they would be on their stomachs, but their one right arm would be up on their forehead, their left arm would be up on their chin, pushing it off to the side. They'd be in these contorted positions, and they'd wake up the next morning with their fibromyalgic pains in their arms, wrists, and everything, and, and uh, it, was, it was awful for them. But we could tell they were unconsciously trying to keep their airway open. And these people were thin, uh, not, uh, didn't ha- have the weight that comes with yeah, sleep apnea, apnea. Not, not typical apnea, and wasn't a central uh, sleep apnea either, which means it wasn't coming from the brain first. And so this was a thin person's sleep apnea. And uh, long story short, or maybe too late for that, <laughs> uh, we identified uh, what was now being referenced as upper airway resistance syndrome, where the airway was collapsing. And so we started digging into what made the biggest difference. And what we found was that this, the tension on the back of the neck, when those muscles were really tight, they were the main culprit for shutting down the muscles on the front. Mm-hmm. And so the way I kind of explain it is if I'm going to flex a bicep, maybe if this was a, a visual, I'd have Marquis flex his bicep because <laughs> it's bigger. But you can actually flex the bicep. In order for that arm to go into a flexed bicep position, the nerves have to contract that bicep muscle, but they also have to send a signal to relax the tricep muscle. If the muscles on the back of your neck are contracting, there's, they're sending a signal to relax the muscles on the front. But during the day, you override that with texting excessively and stuff like that. But at nighttime, when you're on your back, that doesn't happen. So this reflexive signaling goes to, gets to a point where when you get into the REM sleep stage, you're, you're, there's a point where your body actually gets completely shut down and it goes paralyzed. And some people will wake up during these states in a paralytic dream. They think aliens are getting them or something like that. <laughs> it's, not, it's not aliens. That's, that's what's supposed to happen, except your airway is supposed to be maintained. If the spasm in the back of the neck does not shut down, does not stop contracting, it will reciprocally send a signal to shut down your airway muscles, and it collapses. And guess what happens when you don't get oxygen to the brain? It's never good. Yeah, right? You don't sleep well. You don't <laughs> yeah, sleep well. The brain will send a signal to your adrenal glands to release adrenaline or cortisol, a stress hormone. In the middle of deep sleep, you're, you're releasing a fight-or-flight response. Some people wake up with their heart racing, and they'll sit up and be like, like they just had a bad dream or something like that. Some people, and most people, don't even wake up. It just becomes a low-grade stress signaling, but they'll wake up an hour later, or they're wide awake at 4 a.m. with no idea why. It's because their airway is compromised, and this is one of the reasons. There are other things for that. But they're having a stress response in the middle of rest and digest of deep sleep. And so that's part of the problem for, for the, the sleep part of it. A lot of times you have to fix the tensions in the neck and open up that airway. And one of the best things to do that is exercise, yeah. physical mm-hmm. exercise, mm-hmm. to keep things moving. And we, if we don't move, we lose yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah. 
This is why we said we're going to do a, a full podcast on sleep. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that was the that big was our version. Short yeah, that was, yeah, <laughs> yeah, so stay tuned. So to wrap up just the back stuff, right? Yeah. It's we've talked posture being a big player. We've talked about muscular imbalance, right? Exercise, the lack of exercise setting up some of this, our our positions at work and when we text setting this up, but then beyond that, the inflammation. How critical it is for us to have a healthy diet, to not have other things that are stressing and inflaming us. Those seem to be like the, the really big factors. Now we can talk about other things like infection and other yeah. kind of more obscure stuff. But those are the key pieces as far as, you know, what I what I'm hearing and what we've practiced here with our patients. So is there anything else before we wrap this up that seems like a key thing that people should remember for their, for their back? One of the things that Dr. Tanay and some of the other doctors do here that I love uh, is the movement pattern analysis mm-hmm. where they'll actually assess different movements, different stretches by, by incorporating good stretching routine on top of everything else. You can really keep it there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So deep breathing with, with good movements mm-hmm. are really key. And you can isolate in there. And she does a really good job, as, yeah. the, as does Dr. Amber and Dr. Natalie. And those, uh, apparently you and I don't yeah. do good no. jobs with that. <laughs> yes. I, send, I, send, uh, I send my patients to, to them because they're really good at yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. They, they have a passion for that. They do. So, so that, uh, that's a big part of it, too. I find yeah. that that's been very helpful with people to develop that routine and maintain. Yeah. Good. And this is why we've developed programs yeah. that incorporate this, because we see that people need to have all of these pieces for a variety of different health concerns to, to get better. Absolutely. Big tool in the toolbox. Yep. Thank you for listening to the Synapse Nips podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast. To learn more, check out our website at www.officialsynapse.com. Until next time, this has been Synapse Snips Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only and should under no circumstances be considered medical advice or a substitute for medical care. Any information given in this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease and is at the user's own risk. Please first consult a licensed healthcare professional.